please stand with me as I read today's scripture, which comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Any, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Next week, uh, we're going to be back in our series on the Gospel of John. But what we wanted uh, to do this week as we kind of begin the new year, the eighth day into the new year, is we want to remind ourselves of what our focus is as a church. Uh, now, I say a focus is, as a focus, no, not so much as a, a vision. A vision is something that's quantifiable. A vision may say, hey, by you know, 2024, we want to have X number of people worshiping with us. Or, hey, this year we want to raise X amount of money to purchase a building. Which, by the way, if you have X amount of money to help us purchase a building, maybe you have a vision for that. A vision is quantifiable. It's a number. It's, it's something, it's a picture of a desired future that we can all get behind. But what we're looking at today, what we want to look at as a church, isn't so much a vision as a focus. A laser beam focus on one thing. That's what we want to be about as a church. A laser beam focus on one thing. And it's based on the, the belief that if, that's, this, this, if this one thing happens... Everything else that we need will happen as well. Sort of like when Jesus said, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added to you. And here's what we're saying as a church. We want to be this, this to be our one focus as a church. We want to be, we desire to be an awakened people who are then sent by God to awaken others. And it's my goal for you this morning, for you to see that this, that that. An awakened people sent by God to awaken others is the one thing, not because it's a cool slogan that we have, not because it's our slogan, but that, that thing, however you want to say it, however you want to rephrase it, that thing, to be the people who are awakened, revived, renewed, made new in the image of God, who are then sent by God to take that to other people, that that is the, the, the one thing in all the world that's worth you devoting yourself to. You see, there are so many things that are, worth, that are vying for your attention. The question every day for you is, what will you give yourself to? What in the world is worth you devoting 
everything, all of yourself to. I mean, really, really giving all of yourself to. Your time, your energy, your money, your recreation, your family, your hopes, your dreams, your whole self, your whole self, your present and the future. What in the world is worth that kind of investment? Now, like I said, we're eight days into the new year, and so I know a number of us here probably have uh, thoughts about what we want to do, things we want to change this, this year. Maybe you want to get healthy. Maybe you, you want to meet a workout goal, or you want to get your homework organized, or keep it clean, or you have a financial goal, or a relationship goal. But the, here's the truth that I know about many of those things, most of those things, is that very few of us will stick with any of them. Part of that's because it's difficult to muster up the willpower, right? I mean, you start a new diet and five days in, you drive by a restaurant, and they're like, two for, two for free, basically. You're like, well, I, I can't turn down that. It's, I don't want to lose money. I mean, I may as well. But even more, more than just the willpower. Most of us, whenever we make a decision about those things, we reach a point where we don't feel it's worth giving ourselves to it. So we move on. And most of us live divided lives. We have so many interests. We have so many options. We have so many things that campaign all the time for your and my attention that we never really fully give ourselves to anything. And now I want to present a stone-cold fact to you this morning, though. A stone-cold fact. Not a New Year's resolution, but a fact that this is true at the heart of every Christian is a desire. At the heart of every Christian is a desire, a desire to give yourself all of yourself, everything, body and soul, life and breath, unreservedly to God and his mission of renewal on earth. That's what the deep, if you are a Christian today, that is what the deepest desire of your soul is crying out for. Because you know and you believe that because Jesus Christ, because he alone is worthy, because he became man, because he sacrificed his life for your sin, because he ransomed you, your life, from Satan, because he purchased you as his own possession, because he has caused you to be adopted by his Father, because he has given his spirit to you, because he has taken away the sting of death from you, because he has assured you of life forever in his presence, because he alone deserves all power power and honor and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing, because of that, he deserves and you desire to give him your all, everything that you have. It is the, the song of heaven. Did you hear in the, the, the quote that, that, that Tyson read for us this morning? It's also in Revelation 5, then I looked and I heard, I looked around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, I heard the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And this is what I know of you, Christian. No matter what else, what else seems true of you today, no matter what else seems true of you today, this truth is more true. That at the core of who you are, you desire to give your all, everything that you have, to Christ and his mission of renewal in the world. It's what you want more than anything. And if that's not what you want, 
If that's not, whenever I, I share that with you, when we read the passage that Carolyn just read for us, if that doesn't stir your soul and say, yes, that more than anything else, that's what I want to give myself to, then you are not a Christian. You haven't yet experienced the new birth. You may generally believe things about God. You may generally believe Jesus Christ died and rose again. You may generally believe that, that he loves people or that he, you may, but you don't truly believe that he died and rose again for you. And you haven't felt that your deepest need is his salvation. You haven't yet fully placed your full faith and trust on him as your savior. You haven't yet bowed to him as king and Lord. You haven't been born again. It's actually a great test of whether you're a Christian or not. A Christian and non-Christian may live lives that look very similar. They may both be giving themselves to things that are frivolous, but the Christian will be miserable in that life. Deep down, they know there's more. Christian will be miserable because they know that they aren't glorifying God like they should be. The non-Christian will just be discontent that they're not getting out of life what they want. Because the heart of a Christian knows that the only appropriate response to God and all that he is for you is to give yourself to him. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, Romans 12, 1, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or your only reasonable worship. And that is why whenever Miss Carolyn, when Auntie read that message for us, that passage for us, that about the first explosion of, of Christ's New Testament church on the planet, and you read what that church looked like and what their lives looked like, your heart was stirred. And in fact, if you're a believer, your heart ached a little bit because it's what you long to see. It's what you long to be a part of. It's what you long to give yourself to. And that is at the church that God wants to make us. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe, awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were even selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day day by day, those who were being saved. This is what the church looked like after the Holy Spirit was poured out on Jesus's remained disciples. The disciples were filled with great joy and great power, and thousands came in on the first day, and they continued to come in day by day. And this is the result. It created the New Testament church, and it looked like that. And you know what? That's the DNA not only of the Acts 2 church, it's the DNA of our church as well. I want to point to two key things in this passage. I, I don't know if you saw, but I hope you noticed. Two things, the presence of God and the devotion of the believers. The presence of God and the devotion of the believers. 
And now it's easy to jump in and say, hey, what did they devote themselves? They devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread and prayer, and like, hey, but let's go and do those things. But first, I want you to see, what was it that caused that kind of devotion? What was it that caused them to devote themselves, to give themselves to Christ in this church? What changed from before Pentecost to this point? You know what changed? The presence of God. The presence of God among his people made all the difference. All the difference. They did so much so that they then devoted themselves. Why? Because awe fell upon every soul. The Spirit of God was poured out upon them. God, very God, was in their midst. And then, because of that, because he was in their midst, in their hearts, in them and among them, because of that, they then carried the presence of God into their homes and into their neighborhoods, into their workplaces. They carried it when they traveled. God's presence is to be the keystone of his church. That's what kind of church that we are to be. The purpose of the church is to be the presence of Jesus in our society, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, everywhere we go, not, not just when we gather, but especially when we gather, and then as we scatter into our homes and neighborhoods and workplaces to take his presence, the very presence of Jesus Christ, through the presence of the Holy Spirit in us and among us into the community. Awakening or revival or renewal is when God's spirit is poured out to such an extent that the church is returned to that kind of New Testament normalcy. That's what we want to be. That's why we want to be an awakened or revived or renewed people who are then sent by God to awaken others. We want to be so for Horry County, for the sake of those around us. How many people around you do you know that need to know that God is real and true? Who need to not only hear the gospel in terms of like some sort of theory out there that exists among others, but to come to their hearts with power to their soul so they know that it is real. They don't just hear that Jesus loves you or read it on a billboard somewhere, but inside all of a sudden they know that it is true. That's what the Holy Spirit does. We need it for Horry County. We need it so that they might taste and see that the Lord is good. And we need it for God's glory. How, many, how, how content can we be day after day, week after week, for those around us who do not see that God is glorious and gracious and loving and true and real? How content are we for Jesus to be ignorable by our own family members and neighbors and co-workers. They may or may not follow him, just like every person in Jerusalem did not follow him, but they have to know that he is true. They have to come face to face and have to wreck with him. In other words, he needs to be no longer ignorable. And I can say with full assurance that being that kind of church is God's will for us. In fact, it's God's will for all churches. I can say that with confidence because he has shown us that that is what he wants to do. What is an awakened church? Revival or renewal or awakening is when God does what he did in Acts 2 again on a people. Namely this, 
pour out a spirit. Fresh and powerfully on a people so that, because of this, so that this will happen, so that Jesus is made manifest or real in their midst. And that is the most important thing. That's the critical thing. When the Spirit breaks through our sin and our worldliness and our struggles and Jesus is made real to people, you know what happens? The church all of a sudden is beautified. We begin to look more and more like him. The lost are drawn in and God is glorified through Jesus. And that way, it's like a little Pentecost over and over again. The trappings and the experiences may differ. We may or may not have tongues of fire. There may or may not be miracles, but the essence is the same as Acts 2. An awakened church is marked by the presence of Jesus. And you know why that happens? When that happens, everyone knows he's there. There's no debate leaving like, oh, what did you think about the sermon this morning? Or what did you think about those songs? The thing that people leave from in a setting like that is he was here. And everybody knows it's true. Even the non-believer that comes in says, I don't know what that was, but that was something. And what we're praying is, God, do what you did in Acts 2 for us in this day, in this place, for this people. It doesn't have to, and it won't look the same. Circumstances will be different. But God, pour out your spirit upon us and make Jesus real to us and to those around us. We just want your presence. We're asking for a fresh baptism of your spirit. Because we know that when that happens, we will be a church that is a deeply devoted church. Do you see why this is the only thing worth devoting your life to? It's the only thing worth giving everything that you have towards. You know why? Because it's what God is devoted to. It's what Jesus came and died and rose again to create. A church that experiences an outpouring of God's spirit will be full of devoted people, not out of guilt or obligation, not out of coercion, not because we offer a cool, consumer-driven program that makes you excited to come. But the people of an awakened church are devoted all in because they have tasted and seen Jesus. And therefore, because when you taste and see him, you cannot help but to be deeply devoted to him, to give your life to him, and to vote yourself to his mission of renewal in the world. That kind of church is the kind of church that that rediscovers or recovers the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. Where the truth of the good news of Jesus is not only known here, but it's felt to be true in here. See, I know this. Whatever struggle you might be having, let's say, like, I, I, you're, let's say you just have a real a people, like, I, or I'm always people-pleasing because I never feel loved. I can tell you, Jesus loves you and gave his life for you, and you say, thank you. But it doesn't do anything for you. It's true. You should meditate and think on it, But when God, you know what God's spirit does? He's able to take that truth and drive it into your heart and mind and soul so that all of a sudden you know 
that he loves you because you sense his love for you. And that causes individuals to know the grace and love of Jesus personally. No longer works righteousness, not independence, not a reluctant sacrifice, not thinking that Jesus paid some reluctant sacrifice that paid for my debt, but Jesus himself, I know him. The one who loves me and loves you at great cost and redeems you, redeems me, redeems us for the highest price. A salvation that you can't earn, not in the slightest, but one that's only freely and gladly offered by God to you and me, who are otherwise consistently and continually offending him. That kind of church is a church with a fresh outpouring of his Holy Spirit, because it's the Holy Spirit that makes the truth of God, the truth of the gospel, real to us. It's the presence and person of the Holy Spirit that causes us to be aware that God, not just to hear that God is holy, but to be aware that God is holy. To be aware of the depth of my own sin, of the necessity and the availability of the new birth and salvation by grace alone. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals Jesus in his work. So that's the kind of church we want to devote ourselves to being. But how does that work? Well, there's two parts to being an awakened or renewed or revived church. One you may have already picked up on, we don't have control over. That is that we can't make an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to happen. It's a sovereign act of God. He decides when and how it occurs. But here's what I want to say. Let's not accept any substitute. And there are a lot of substitutes. We can have soaring crescendos in music and the lighting just right and the speakers speak just right so that you have an emotional reaction. But you want know the, the true test of whether God is pouring out his spirit upon an individual or a church is that over time they will increase in the fruit of the spirit, not just have an emotional experience. Well, like, what can we do, though? What we don't want to do is just sit around and wait and say, hey, until that happens, we're just going to kind of flounder around down here. God, we kind of hope you do that. Now, the most active, the most powerful thing that anybody can do is what we must do, and that is we must pray. Prayer is the most active, the most powerful thing that anybody can do. We must devote ourselves to prayer like the early disciples. If we are really hungry for his presence, if the deepest desire of our soul is to see him pour out his spirit upon us so that we would be the church he has called us to be, so we would be the believers that he has called us to be, so that Jesus would be made manifest and real in our presence, and we would carry his presence into all the places that we go, and he would be no longer ignorable in Myrtle Beach and Conway and in your workplace and the South Strand and the North Strand. If that's to happen, if we really long for that, then we, if we really deeply want to be the New Testament people he has called us to be, then we have to give ourselves to prayer, and not just prayer, I mean extraordinary prayer. Crying out, not thinking that we're heard because of the loudness of our voice or the repetition of our words, but thinking that we are heard because Jesus Christ said, I, John, baptized with the water, but I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
Because he, we know that he said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And it seems like we're losing the battle. So Jesus, fulfill your promise and baptize us. Pour out your spirit upon us again, a new and powerful way. We plead his promises. We ask him to awaken and revive us. We plead the name of Jesus. We ask for ourselves and for our children. So our children won't grow up in empty, dead religion. We ask for our neighbors. And along the way, as we do that, you know what might happen? The Holy Spirit might show you certain shortcomings or sin that you have. You know what you do? Just repent. Don't stop, don't flounder, don't run. Remember Christ and his gospel. Free grace offered to you to cover every sin. Remember Christ's gospel and turn to him. Less than turning away from your sin, though that's part of it, less than just turning away from your sin, turn to Christ. And plead his blood for a clear conscience. We devote ourselves to prayer, to extraordinary prayer. And we devote ourselves to the means of awakening or renewal. Real quick, there are five marks that you can see in our passage. At least, there might be more. But there are five marks of the church that we see in our passage. And we see, we see them in every church that is awakened or revived or renewed. And that is transcendent worship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayers. They gathered from, in the temple, they gathered from house to house. They had a sense of awe because he was in their midst. Most, I already touched on it, the most clear sign that God is pouring out his spirit upon a people is his manifest or known or felt presence among people. Where we feel for a moment like the veil between heaven and earth has been pulled back a little bit. Where we feel as close as we can get to heaven while we are still in this flesh. Whenever he makes himself known and real and we respond like the seraphim and the cherubim and the angels and the myriads of myriads and the thousands of thousands and we cannot help but sing out or cry out or fall on our knees and say, unworthy is the lamb. When a non-believer is in that kind of environment, I've seen it happen. Again, they might say, I don't know what that is, but there's something there. It may repel them, or it may draw them in, but it's not ignorable. Transcendent worship, depth teaching. Because when God pours his spirit out and he revives and awakens an individual or a group of people, you get hungry. Not just to fill my head up with knowledge, but I want to know him. And he has revealed himself in his word. I want to feast and feed upon his word so that I can know him better and I can grow in more and more his likeness. 
You know what happens when a group of people, not just one, some of you I know are, are really hungry and you seek out opportunities, but not with just one or two or three or a, a handful, but when a group of people, God starts to pour out his spirit and his, his, his pours out and becomes a revived and awakened, you know what happens? You guys get more and more hungry and it's like you are pulling out, drawing, please give us more teaching, open the word to us. One time a week is not enough. I want more. How can we get together more? They gathered in the temple regularly. They gathered from house to house. How can we get together more so we can learn more about this great Jesus? How can we get together more so we can sing his praises because he is worthy and glorious? Transcendent worship, depth teaching, and intimate fellowship. Did you see that in the, in the passage? They were, went from house to house breaking bread together in daily life, sharing meals, sharing the common table together. But so much so that then all of a sudden they started to see, hey, you have a need and you have a need. I have more than I need. What, what can I do? You know what? You, know what? You, you have to be pretty close to people to know that they have those kind of needs. Deep enough fellowship where you say, as a koinonia or community or intermingling of us together where we say what's mine is yours and yours is mine. I'm not going to grasp what is mine if you have a need. So that later on in Acts it said there weren't any among the believers who had a need. Intimate fellowship and fruitful evangelism. This passage in Acts 2.42 is preceded by the first sermon, which was preached by Peter, which is a powerful sermon directed to people who may, probably were in the crowd crying for Jesus to be crucified. And in fact, he said, you were those who called for him, but he died for you. And they were cut quick to their hearts by the Holy Spirit. And they said, what must we do? And then it says at the end of that passage, the Lord added to their number day by day, that means every day there are those who are being added, those who are being saved. Wouldn't you like your evangelism, even if you participate in evangelism, sharing your faith, wouldn't you like it to be fruitful? Wouldn't you like to have more boldness in sharing your faith? That's what they prayed for in Acts 4. Lord, give us boldness. Even the boldness has to come from God's Spirit. You know why? Why it all has to come from God's Spirit? So that He gets all the glory. If any church or anything that we do is able to say, hey, that worked because that guy's a great preacher or that worked because they have a great band, then who, who are we sharing the glory? Who is God sharing the glory with? He's not going to share his glory. Transcendent worship, depth teaching, intimate fellowship, fruitful evangelism, and we've already hit it on a little bit, compassionate social concern. There was none who had need among them. They reached out and didn't consider anything they had to be theirs. They shared it with those who had need. In fact, they would move not just outside of the household of faith, though especially among believers, the believers went out and cared for those who were out in the streets and who were ostracized and on the margins of life. Can you see how a church who is marked by those five marks, and by the way, you can only have all those five marks if the Holy Spirit is being poured out upon a people. Can you see how a church with all those marks would affect Myrtle Beach, Conway, the North End, the South Strand, Plymouth, Massachusetts, and even beyond? 
God has to pour out his spirit to enable us to exhibit them. But there are also things that we're commanded to do. Did you notice that with all those things? We're commanded to care for the poor. We're commanded to gather together and worship. We're supposed to devote ourselves to teaching. We're supposed to be in fellowship, deep fellowship with each other. We're supposed to share our faith. So in other words, we can't make all five of them happen, but we can devote ourselves to God by devoting ourselves to these five areas. I've heard it described like this, and I think it's the best explanation. A couple times in the Old Testament, particularly with Elijah, uh, they built an altar, but God had to provide the fire. They stacked the wood, but then God had to show up or they're just going to have a pile of wood. And that's what believers, that's what church is supposed to be. We cry out to God in prayer. We devote ourselves to God and we devote ourselves to, to being a church of transcendent worship, depth teaching, intimate fellowship, fruitful evangelism, compassionate social concern. And we say, God, we're stacking the wood and you provide the fire. You know what he does? He does it. Maybe not the way we expect, Maybe not on our time frame, but he does it. So like those, other, those first Christians, we devote ourselves, our whole selves, everything, everything, everything. My time and my treasure, my energy, everything to Jesus and his mission of renewal in our church and in this world. Don't you desire to be a church that looks like that? where Jesus is powerfully and undeniably present in our midst by the power of the Holy Spirit? Let me ask you this question, sweet. What else in the world are you giving your life towards? What are you giving your life toward? Does that mean you quit your job? And No, but how do you do your job? How do you go to school? How do you participate in your family? How do you participate in the community with the goal of pointing towards this? Will you freshly devote yourself to Jesus? Maybe there's a specific thing he's calling you to devote yourself to. Maybe as I've been preaching, there's been one specific thing the Lord's been putting his finger on to you and say, I'm calling you to devote yourself to me by doing this. Will you devote yourself to becoming this kind of church? This kind of believer? For Ori County? For the ends of the world? For his glory? There's nothing better to give your life to. In fact, there's nothing else worthy to give your life to. But I know this. There's never been a group of people of any size who have said, this is what we're going to set as our one and only goal that God hasn't honored in a powerful way. I want to be a part of that with you guys. Let's go. In 2023, let's go. Father, we can't make that kind of commitment on our own. Lord, it doesn't depend upon us. We could stack the wood, but we need you to pour out your fire.
We can devote ourselves to all kinds of things, but we need you to pour out your spirit. Lord, I pray here at this moment, this day, this season for us as a church, this season for the believers who are here in this room, would be a season to devote themselves, everything, to you. Because you alone are glorious. You alone are worthy of power and dominion and honor and praise and glory. Father, will you pour out your spirit upon us? Refresh, revive, awaken your church so that Jesus will be seen, experienced, and known by us, by our family members, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, strangers, those who are off on the side of the margin of life who no one cares for. Would you do it for your son's glory, for our joy? Amen.